0: And welcome to Dismantle Racism. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Our aim for this show is to uncover, dismantle, and to eradicate racism. I am super, super excited today to get into this conversation on dismantling racism because I have two very wonderful guests with me. I love all the guests that I have here, but today... I'm overjoyed with the two young ladies that I will introduce to you in just a moment. And they are the Gen Z generation and they will be talking with us about the ways in which they uncover, eradicate and dismantle racism. But as always, I'd like to get started with the show by really centering us and asking us to just breathe. And the reason why I invite us to take in these wonderful deep breaths is because it's our way of centering and focusing and understanding who we are and that we are breath itself. We're divine wisdom itself, and we're capable of moving mountains. So if you would, just for a moment, close your eyes and begin to take a few deep breaths in and just release those breaths. And as you take another deep breath in, do a quick body scan, just to see how you're feeling, what your thoughts are, whether you feel that you are ready to hear the conversation, engage in the conversation, or whether there are any places where there's tension. And I want you to breathe out that tension. Breathe in the fact that you are life itself, that you are connected with divinity and source and God. Breathe in that you are the manifestation of the great I am. And breathe out anything that would keep you from manifesting your greatness and the greatness of others breathe in the fact that this divine wisdom this sacred intelligence is available to you at all times so i invite you to breathe out anything that would keep you from reaching that sacred intelligence so today as we begin our show we are going to rest in that wonderful place of divine wisdom. Sigh it out. (sighs) Again, again, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are living in a new world where virtually any knowledge is at our fingertips. The age of technology has completely revolutionized our daily lives but specifically how we absorb information and stay updated on current events. This means that the way racism is viewed has been transformed and has the perspective on how to tackle it. So my guests today, Ruby Avery and Sage Fortune are here to discuss their various perspectives on racism and the impact HBCUs Uh, their own specific HBCU experience has had on them as young people. And they've had very different upbringings. And so I can't wait to talk to them about it. I should let you in on the fact that Ruby Avery is my daughter. And so she is here today to talk about her experiences uh, growing up in a predominantly white area, and Sage Fortune happens to be my goddaughter, and she's here to talk about her experiences growing up in a mixed neighborhood, but mostly of color, I would venture to say. But I want to tell you a little bit about these two girls because they are so outstanding. Actually, correction, these two women. Uh, Ruby Avery is a native of Griswold in Connecticut, and she's a senior at Howard University, her uh concentration is on public relationships and she has uh, a minor in spanish ruby is involved in so many organizations i will not list them all here she can talk about them a little bit uh, as she talks about herself but uh, she's the president of some organizations she's uh like all over the place as a student ambassador she is such a well-rounded individual and i am thrilled to have her on the show today to talk about her experiences. And she believes that um, wholeheartedly that Howard University, my alma mater as well, has been the perfect environment for her to accomplish her goals. And she's excited to bring her knowledge beyond the classroom. Ruby Avery, welcome to the show today. And Sage Fortune, Sage, is an actor and she's been one since she was very very young but she majored in acting in um, in school and she's also a graduate of howard university i'm so excited that they both attended my alma mater and sage attended school in long island new york and she has studied at the British American uh, Drama Academy. She has done one woman um, shows. She's, she just has a dossier as well that she can get into a little bit later as she talks a little bit about her stories. And for Sage, she really holds dear to the quote by Alice Walker, surely the earth can be saved by all the people who insist on love sage i want to welcome you to the show as well i want to ask both of you girls to un women to unmike yourselves <laughs>
1: hello 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 Hi. how are you all i am lovely this morning thank you for having me
2: yes i'm doing well too thanks for having us mom
0: oh i hope i can stop cheesing enough because <laughs> i'm just so excited but girls women Listen, I always call you girls because you are my girls. So please know that I don't mean anything by it. It's a term of endearment. I always ask my guests to really start by telling us what grounds you, what keeps you focused on your work, your passions, and in particular, since we're talking about racism What are some of the ways that you ground yourself? Do you have any sacred practices that you engage in? We'll start with you,
2: Ruby. Okay. Well, I guess um, I feel like lately it's been a little bit difficult to ground myself just because I've been moving. I've been, as you know, mom and Sage place to place. I've just come back from Houston, Texas and now I'm back in Washington, D.C. to finish my final year at Howard and Honestly, I I do a lot of um journaling and I religiously drink coffee and I know it sounds a little bit crazy but just having those two things wherever I am just helps me to reflect and just have some stability no matter where I'm going and then also because my mother is a pastor, I um I've grown up, knowing a lot about prayer and meditation, and those two methods also just help me to be centered, especially when there's a lot of chaos or I'm just very busy. Those two things definitely keep me grounded.
0: Mm-hmm. And what about you, Sage?
2: So
1: I I discovered yoga does really well for me during the pandemic when I like actually had the time to sit down and think about how that process of grounding myself works, um, and then also theater really is my meditation. I think going outside of myself is what grounds me, but I think it's also really important. I'm glad you said Ruby that it's been difficult because it ha- it is difficult you know, to find that. Um, and I think it's a years long journey of learning about yourself and getting to know yourself and accepting the fact that the way you have to ground yourself changes as you change, as your demands change as your environment changes. Um, And so it's like an ongoing process figuring that out. I too take comfort in journaling, which is something that was a mandatory assignment when I was a freshman at Howard, but it became a meditative practice, which I'm grateful for. I'm glad someone forced it down my throat (laughs) so I could figure out that it tastes good. You know? Mm. (laughs) Well, so
0: I, I'm, I'm glad that both of you sort of in, in ways have talked about your last year because there's been a lot that you all have had to deal with, as well as the rest of us, um, as it relates to the pandemic. But during the pandemic, racism seemed to just explode. The conversation about it, you all have known from your own experiences that uh, racism has always existed. But this explosion created something else in you all. And I know we're going to talk about technology or your experiences at an HBCU. But if we could, could you talk a little bit about what happened for you when George Floyd was murdered? How did it change your way of thinking about racism. I know we had really interesting conversations in our household, but can you talk just a little bit about what came up for you all during that time?
1: I can, I can take that first if you like, Ruby. Honestly, for me, very little changed in the way that I view it. I think it was more revolutionary for white people and maybe non-Black people because all of a sudden it was forced into their eyesight. Um, But I didn't really feel any different. It it was another incident. It was just another thing that happened. And for me, it was just like, oh, for some reason, I guess because of the pandemic, everyone is just having to pay attention. And I think what changed for me, since it wasn't my own point of view perspective on those events and that issue, what changed for me is how the white people and the non-Black people that I knew treated me. I had a lot of associates, acquaintances, past cast cast members or, or, you know, things like that reach out to me and be like, just thinking about you. Are you okay?" I had I had one woman um, had one white woman who reached out to me and she was and she's a bit older than me, too. I think she's in her 30s. Reach out to me. She put me in a group message with with her and the few other black people who were in that production and asked us like to explain to her what she can do to be better and um you know how she can be an ally and it's like all of those things where i know it's coming from a good place at least i hope i can't read minds but it kind of became a little overwhelming to see how much non-Black people around me were overthinking to the point where I was like, are you overthinking because you were very, very concerned? Or the fact that you don't feel like you can just be there for me as a friend makes me question your actual consciousness about the nuances of these issues.
0: You know what I mean? I do. And, And I think it happened to many of us people of color that there was this barrage of Sympathy, empathy, questions, guilt, shame, all of that came up mm. for people. And so uh, thank you for sharing from your perspective what that was like. Now, we actually have to take a break. And um, and so when we return, Ruby, I'd love for you to express a little bit about what that was like for you and maybe even some of your own Uh, understanding of who you were. And you can even discuss the dynamics in our household as it related to conversations. But we're going to take a quick break. This is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guests today are Ruby Avery and Sage Fortune. We'll be right back.
3: Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey?
4: Are you a conscious co-creator?
0: Back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, with my guests, Ruby Avery and Sage Fortune. Before the break, we were talking about how the murder of George Floyd might have changed your perspective or what your experiences were. And Sage was able to give us a few things that occurred to her after. you know, the explosion of the conversation on race. So, Ruby, could you share with us what it was like for you?
2: Yes. um, It's almost overwhelming to think of everything that had changed since last year because just so much had happened. Um, The biggest thing was that I went to my first protest. I hadn't been out amongst people like that, just marching for a cause. And... I remember, mom, we were together walking down. I don't remember which street it was. But we were walking down the street together and we heard all these people just chanting. And I think both of us really got overwhelmed and um, emotional because where we are, there's just a lot of white people. And for me, it's like watching these white people that I grew up with um, chant these things, share this message and knowing also who they were for me, that was a lot to just tease, just witness, because I know that I've changed so much from high school. I know these people probably have too, but just to know, you know, the microaggressions and things like that, that I've put up with and now seeing them flip. And it's like, you want to be, you do want to be happy that people can come together over this. But It's like, okay, how can we keep this conversation going? How can we make sure that this is change that lasts for, a little bit longer. And so that was something else that I was thinking about as my position as a communications practitioner, because we're seeing these organizations, major companies, influencers come out and post a statement or post Black Lives Matter. And obviously some of it's performative, but some of it's genuine too. So I was thinking about how in my career, what would I do if I was in that situation? And one of the ways that played out actually was One of the organizations that I'm a member of, the Public Relations Student Society of America, last year we put on a series called the Elephant in the Room panel series, and we partnered with the University of Florida and this PR boutique in Florida called, or in New York called Pitch Publicity. And we put on a series of panels that talked about race and microaggressions in each Industry within communications, so it could have been sports, healthcare, entertainment, politics. We had people that were alumni of the University of Florida and Howard come back and just answer questions genuinely and honestly about how they see race and how they um, how they dismantle race, how they confront it, and what it actually looks like to be um, a person in communications during this time period when everything is really sensitive. So honestly being able to be a part of that felt so good because I could, I helped to um, put the series together, which helped me feel like I was being part of that change. But then also I learned so much just by listening about what a future of actually dealing with race in my career looks like.
0: Mm. So I I'd love that, You began by talking about seeing these people that you had grown up with, having these conversations with people that you uh, had known for years, actually both of you, whether it was in acting or your growing up experiences, and then seeing this now engagement and conversations that you had not engaged in before. So Ruby, I'd like to just ask you, what were some of the microaggressions you just mentioned there were microaggressions in high school. Talk a little bit about your high school experience and Sage, I'd love for you to talk about yours as well.
2: Uh, I feel like my high school experience, I was like the token black girl. That's how I feel kind of, I was involved in everything. And so I was just, I felt like I kind of was the token black girl. I was in AP classes. I also did sports and I also did theater, things like that. Like I was everywhere was trying everything and so i mean i guess a lot of people knew me or knew of me but it didn't change the fact of like some of the things that you would hear whether it's like oh like nobody wants to date you because you're a black girl and most of the guys you know here date white girls and the black guys don't even really like white girls, which I don't even think that's a microaggression. That's just straight up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Internalized racism, yeah. you know,
2: yeah. So dealing with things like that. And then I remember just early on, and you probably remember this too, back when I went to Catholic school, it's not high school, but um, it was what, elementary school. This was the first thing I really had to deal with. I think I was in fourth grade and I was getting partnered with a little buddy must've been a preschooler. And the, my little buddy literally did not want to be my little buddy because I was black. And I remember like trying to, you know, play with him or whatever, because everybody got along with their little buddy and he just seemed cold and distant. And then one day at recess, one of his little friends ran over to me and was like, um, so-and-so doesn't like you because you're black and then ran away. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. And then what did my parents do? <laughs> Well, tell them what did your
0: parents do? <laughs> My
2: parents were like, Yeah, you're gonna have to deal with it. It's <laughs> not put. It,
0: right. And I and so for people who are listening, you know, her dad and I felt very strongly that you're going to have to deal with racism in this country and you're not going to be able to run away from it. And it does not serve the other person when you run away from it. So we did tell her in fourth grade. he's going to remain your little buddy. But in all fairness, his teacher did talk to me and she actually changed her curriculum a bit. So that she could deal with race, which I thought was very powerful, because she met me after school to tell me what happened, and she said, "Because we're friends, and I want you to." And I was thinking, "We're not friends, Jake." I mean, like you know, from 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 that movie at times get, we're not friends. I know you, but we're not friends. And thank you for really being willing to reach out to make sure that my daughter understood and that this young boy understood that we're all in this together. But Ruby, I actually, if you don't mind me sharing this on um, on the air, which you don't know what I'm about to say, but that wasn't your first experience. When you were three years old, there was a little girl in preschool who told you that she didn't want to play with you because your skin was brown. And, And the teacher never told me about it. And dad told me about it. And so the teacher, the teacher, no, the teacher didn't tell dad. Another parent overheard it, overheard the conversation. And then Uh she told us. And then even in first grade, you also had an incident where they were talking about slavery. And Uh this little boy looked at you and said, Ruby, you would have been a slave. If you were born back then. Yeah, I blocked a lot of that out. Yes, you did block a lot of that out. And we don't even have time to go through all of it. But Uh even in high school, and the reason why I'm sharing these publicly is because I think it's important for teachers and parents and all of you all who are listening to know that these are microaggressions that we experience all the time. And we either have to deal with them in our homes because teachers don't know how, when I confronted the teacher about the little boy saying, um, Ruby, you would have been a slave. She said, well, I just didn't know what to say, but you should, you're an instructor. It's important to know. The other thing is, and I'll, I'll just say this one, Ruby, you also told me, and you didn't tell me this until much after high school about going to parties where people were playing songs that oh, can constantly.
2: About that really quick. Yes, please. It definitely, I've I heard the N word a lot in high school, and I wasn't even saying it. I wasn't saying it. There were a few black kids, um, but they all hung out with white people, like because there weren't that many black people where I was. So, um, I heard the N word a lot, and a lot of it was from these white kids who, you know they tried to wear do rags or wear their Jordans or whatever, and just thought they were whatever. And they would say the N word. And like you were saying, there was this one time at a party. I think I had just graduated. I hadn't gone to Howard yet, but it was the summer after senior year of high school. And all these kids at the party singing the lyrics to the song, whatever, whatever. And this white boy was like, does it bother you when they say the N word? And I was like, yeah, I don't like it. And he was like, well, why don't you tell them to stop? And I was like, I don't think, I am just like, why don't you tell them to stop? Because I don't really have the grounds to even like sit here and just become the angry black woman right now or just ruin the vibes at the party or whatever it is. And so basically after that happened, I was like, yeah I'm not going to any of these types of functions anymore because I just can't be there. Um, It's just not my crowd, not my scene and it's just uncomfortable. But I guess because of like peer pressure or whatever, just being really um, just young and dumb, just showing up to these places because I thought like I would be left out, but then I realized I don't have to be there. I don't have to put myself in a space to be disrespected. So just having those experiences and being blatantly disrespected, not even microaggression, just blatantly disrespected. And then seeing people, rally, I guess, the way they did behind George Ford was definitely, it was a lot. <laughs> was well, a
0: lot. I could, as I'm listening to you talk about this, it is a lot. And so I would say it wasn't that you were young and dumb, but we go through this phase when we're younger and wanting to identify and to be connected with a group. And this was the group that you were connected with at the time. And if you had been the one to step up, like you said, you would have been that angry Black woman, as opposed to uh, your white friends actually saying, hey, this is not right. And that is really what's important. I want our audience to know that it doesn't have to be the person of color to be the one to speak up all the time. In fact, if you want to be an ally, if you want to dismantle and eradicate racism, the ways that you do it is a voice. It's not that Ruby doesn't have agency because she does, but there's a cost each time a person of color chooses to speak up, there is a cost. And if, and there's a cost to you too, as a white person, I want you to understand that, but your voice has a different impact. I want to get to you as well, Sage, but we do have to take a break and I want uh, you to be able to talk a little bit about your experiences growing up. And then I would love for the both of you to talk about how attending an HBCU has changed you in a bit. Um, I know the time goes really quickly here on this show, but we will be right back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, my guest today, Ruby Avery and Sage Fortune will be right back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guests today, Ruby Avery and Sage Fortune, have been talking about their experiences growing up um, in their various neighborhoods and environment, and then also attending an HBCU. And so before the break, we heard Ruby talk a bit about what it was like for her to grow up as one of a very few uh, people of color, in particular Black students in her hometown. And so Sage, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your experiences before attending Howard and what it was like for you to grow up. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, yeah, so I grew up in Long Island um, in, in a very, very diverse environment. There were, in fact, I wanna say that Black people were in the majority or at least people of color in general were in the majority. Um, and so because of that, I never, I never felt, you know, out of place in that way. But it's funny because I didn't, I didn't really socialize much, um, in middle school or high school. I was very to myself. I had my, you know, my two and a half friends. I went to school, I did my homework and that was it. I never went to parties. So I didn't even have the opportunity to notice things like that, like Ruby did, um, But I do think that I would hear um, non-Black people drop the N-bomb, especially, you know, when it comes in music, because it's just the song. I'm just saying the song and all that great stuff. And even, which is weirder to me, because you would think that if it's a group of white people, they, you know, they're not, they're less likely to hold each other accountable. It's interesting to me that, you know, a bunch of, White people would say that around black people, but I wasn't there. I can't speak on it, so <laughs> I'll let that go. But um, honestly, people were generally nice in high school. I think um, when I when I like watch shows or when I used to watch shows, and like people would get bullied and and you know have a hard time. I'm not saying people didn't get bullied because I don't know what everyone was going through on an individual basis, but. I think, the, I think that our generation is definitely the product of internet culture in the way of, like, that is a vehicle for people to find out what's politically correct and what's okay. And it's like, at this point in time, it's almost not cool at all to be the kind of cool that was cool back then. Back then, it meant it was cool to put people down. It was cool to to just be mean sometimes and I think now we're in a time where the cool kids will be like what are you doing that's really Mm. not okay which is an amazing thing and I think that that's definitely a result of more social media and our people our age and younger having access to information like that and the impact of negativity in that way but honestly I didn't come into myself I didn't Uh, start being myself loudly until I got to Howard. So maybe this is a good segue.
0: (laughs) It's a perfect segue into HBCU life, because it doesn't sound like, you had the racial tension that Ruby had, that you had to struggle with internally. So talk to me about the beloved HBCU experience. Yes. And of course, Howard, I have to say the number one HBCU, you. <laughs> even though there are people out there who would disagree, but hey, it's my I show. The hear three yourself. of us went to Howard. So there you
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, Howard was definitely when I broke out into my shell, it was a beautiful and almost overwhelming experience to get thrown into an environment where everyone seemed to be on a similar wave as me and like the vibrations were just right. It was like all of a sudden, oh, like I don't have to explain certain things. People just get certain things. And then because everyone is coming with an understanding of blackness, that lets you embrace your individuality more because you're not seen as sage, that black woman. It's just that you're sage because we're in an environment where that's not even a thought. And so it was like, it was beautiful getting to dig into myself in that way. And it was also being surrounded by so much excellence and so many artists specifically, you know, because that's what I was there for in the department and outside of it. It was like, wow, this is a wake up call that you don't need, you know, big networks or a lot of money or a lot of influence to, to make and create beautiful things. And it really enforced that idea. I think Issa Rae popularized the phrase of like networking horizontally I believe is what, um, is what she said, you know, like the fact that you have everyone that you need right now, it's not about getting to know people higher up with so much power and so much money. If you are committed and, um, and you have the desire to create something and you have a clear idea of what you want, you have everyone and everything that you need to make it happen. Because even if you don't have million, like if I wanted to make a movie, even if I don't have millions of dollars, if I know what I want to communicate and I have people who are also committed to that message, it can happen. And your art speaks for itself. And that will get you where you want to go with the more money and the more influence. Mm. And it was just, excuse me, it was just an environment full of individualism in a way that I had never seen before and freedom, intellectual freedom. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah. I I love hearing you express it Sage, because I know I was part of that process when you were applying to all of these schools and often HBCUs get seen as less than. And what I'm hearing you say is that it elevated you in this magnificent way and in a way that actually a PWI can't because it took out Sage the Black Girl and brought in like, yes, I'm Black, but like, that's just, that's a given. And we just go through life. So Ruby, what about um, your experience? If you could unmute yourself and, and tell us how uh, your experience at Howard has been.
2: I definitely, definitely would agree with Sage because there's just so much creative energy and it's, creative energy in everything, not even just art, but mm-hmm. in the way that people speak, in engineering, in um, just people's approaches to something. It could be, so like my mom said before, I'm involved in so many different organizations, and so just something like putting together an, um, an organization fest for the freshmen this last week, and making sure that all the organizations would come out, and we kind of did it in a different way. It wasn't just tabling and going by, like we made it we just made it fun and we made it interactive and like almost like a party. So it's like something to come home to and not just your everyday, um, your everyday routine. And so I just love being connected to that type of resource because like Sage said, the network will just really, just your peers themselves. They, if there's something that you want to do, you have everything you need um, just in a group. Mm. <laughs> and people <laughs> are just willing to, just willing to help you because of that, kinship that just happens at the Mecca. So yeah, I just remember really walking across Howard's campus for the first week and just actually feeling like beautiful, just actually feeling very centered and grounded because of everyone um, historically who's attended the school and just what it means to be at the Mecca. Like, I could feel all of that within my first week at Howard. And I knew that it was building a foundation that I couldn't get at a PG- a PWI. Excuse me. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that you were saying, yes, I'm going to let you just a second. But I just love that Ruby said it made her feel beautiful because it speaks to your confidence. And of course, I might be a little partial, but anybody looking at Ruby, she's an adorable, beautiful woman. But to to, to have to be at a place where you get to Howard and go, ah, oh, yes, because that means that somewhere in high school, mm-hmm. and, and like all people in high school, you're kind of evaluating yourself. But to be surrounded by people where you see this beauty, it already takes your confidence up a notch just because you're you're like, I'm home, right? But Sage, what did you wanna say?
1: I was just, because um, Ruby said something about alumni. I think that was a big thing too, like realizing that my proximity to success was so, I'm right there. And because of the alumni and their commitment to opening those doors for us, I don't know. I don't know how it works in PWIs, but I know that I have had so many personal conversations with alumni that have been transformational, and I don't think that that happens at a lot of places. Like um, during, because we didn't get to do our showcases because I graduated during the pandemic. Um, you know, we had a lot of alumni doing beautiful things coming to us and being and giving us personal guidance in a way that lifts it just lifts you up you know it lifts you mm. up because they know exactly how to navigate that industry that you're going into as as a black person and mm-hmm. um and as uh, it's just it's just I'm getting overwhelmed. <laughs> you're I'm you're overwhelmed. overwhelmed.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, you know, you're and I and superstar. I think about I think about you too, Sage, as an as an actor. And a lot of times if you're at a PWI and you're in the acting arena, you can get left out of some parts. But when you're in a predominantly black university, I mean like you're eligible for all the parts. You know, if if you're Good enough exactly. to get the part, right? And 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 because we don't know what we don't know, sometimes when you're in settings where you're the only, people don't even recognize that they're not seeing you, that you're not visible to them, that they're not thinking about you uh, for a particular part, for instance, because in their mind, maybe the person who's playing the part is a white person right. and they're not even aware of it. Um, I know that you ladies have much more to say, but we're again. Getting- We have to take a break. And when we come back, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you think your experience at an HBCU might have prepared you for life and beyond. I know you've talked about it a little bit more, but talk a little bit about the academics maybe when we come back, your strong sense of um, intellect and academics. So we'll be right back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. We are back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guests today are two of my favorite people, uh, my daughter, Ruby Avery, and my goddaughter, Sage Fortune. And before we continue, I just want to do give a shout out to uh, Tim at Star Island, as, as those of you who watch the show often, you can see. My background is different. I'm on Star Island engaged in Sabbath rest and I needed a place to host the show. So he graciously let me use his office. And so I want to just thank Tim and give him a shout out. Before the break, we were talking about your experiences at an HBCU. And I ask you all to think about some ways in which your experiences at an HBCU has prepared you for life beyond college, so whether that's with your careers or just navigating racism or navigating uh, life in general, talk to me a bit about your preparation at Howard. Either of you can start. Well, Ruby, I mean, Sage, your hand went up, so we'll start with you. Yes, you have to unmute yourself, please.
1: I was actually pointing like Ruby, but it's okay. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Well, I think the biggest thing is that when um, you're allowed to foster your individuality, that just gives you a strong, grounded sense of self. And when you're comfortable with yourself, that means that you're just overall more well-prepared to deal with absolutely anything that comes your way. Um, Like freshman year for us in the theater department, before we did any scenes or acting as you might as you might say, um, we had to do an exercise called two minutes alone. And it's just us in our bedrooms doing absolutely nothing and just trying to be your authentic self in this space. And we did that for a long time before we were ever allowed to touch a script. And I think that's a microcosm for anything outside of, you know, the world of theater is the fact that you need to be comfortable in being your authentic self before you're able to step into other arenas. And I think that that goes along with um, the fact that we had access to works by people who looked like us and people who didn't look like us, you know, of course, it's, there's a lot of value placed on the classics, you know, Greeks and Shakespeare, and that stuff is valuable, of course. But in addition to that, we got to read things that I had never even heard of. Writers that are considered the Black classics or the, you know, classics in a different arena. I had never even heard of these people. And it was, you know, beautiful plays, poems, etc., by people who are Black, but other people of color as well. And I think that that's important because I don't want... I feel like it's easy to interpret when we're talking about HBCU life that it's like, yay. Now it's about looking, having people who look like me, 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 me. But it's not about that, in my opinion. I think it's about having having the experience, knowing what it's like to be the other, and that lets you create space for the other others. It's not just about yay, now it's all about Black people. Now, because we know what that's like, it's about um, reading plays by women who are Latina and people who are East Asian and all of the things, you know, creating space for all of it. And I think when you have access to those different kinds of points of views, that widens your scope for everything. It mines the things that you wouldn't have found about yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. reading from different points of view. It's about finding the universality of, of an experience. And I think people who are only reading or living or trying to reach into, one kind of point of view are missing out on not just the outside, but they're missing out on things that they're, they don't even know are inside. And mm, I think that's the biggest mm. takeaway from HBCU. Right.
0: Oh, thank you, thank you, Sage. And I'm gonna let Ruby um, answer that in a minute, but Sage, I also know that you were involved in so many things and you're involved in a, quite a number of things now with your acting since then. Yeah. And um, we, we didn't have time to go into those things, but I am just very thrilled for you as you're moving ahead in your career as an actor as well. So Ruby, could you answer uh, the question as well?
2: Yeah, I think both of you guys said it really well, that it's just um, a different confidence in yourself that you have coming from an HBCU, and that's due to a lot and it has a lot to do with academics as well as just the social aspect of being on campus but like Sage said in her discipline they required her to sit with herself and really uh, find her authentic self and that also happens in let's say a history classroom because we're all required to take african-american history and just learning and just having such an enriched conversation around actually what happened to black people and things that you never even knew about because when you grow up in a high school the general education gives you the civil rights movement it gives you slavery it gives you a little bit of jim crow and things like that um, but it doesn't really tell you everything that black people went through and how much influence that has still played out till today so really knowing that and just studying that really helps you break down and reflect on all the people that have paved the way for you. And then that's, like Sage said, creating that space because you know where you came from and how even I'm allowed to be in this moment here right now because people before me weren't. So that just gives you purpose and it helps you, like Sage said, to create that space for other people.
0: Mm, I love that. And so I wonder in our last couple of minutes that we have, you said to give you purpose, does it also... um, do you have a sense of responsibility to your community after attending an HBCU? do you think it shaped how you think about your responsibilities and yes. and and like maybe just one one minute each
2: <laughs> yes um it definitely does i can't i can just say for myself and what i do with my organizations it's just making sure that we are really reaching people and what they care about and helping people to identify their purpose as well and how they can um, shape themselves and like even as a student ambassador and just telling prospective Howard students about how Howard has shaped me I feel like that even gives them a little bit of a full picture of what a HBCU is I love talking about it because if I had went to a PWI I just simply would not have been the same person that I am now and so I'm just grateful to have had this experience so I know that for me going forward I always want to just give people perspective. I think that that's my responsibility as someone who studies communications um, to the bigger picture and to creating that space for the others.
0: Mm, thank you for that. And Ruby, I also know like Sage that you're super involved in school. I mean, I think you're an officer in about three or four different organizations. And again, as a student ambassador for our listeners, you actually do do tours of the college to tell people about Howard. And so it's been a wonderful way for you to give back even as a student. So Sage, real quick, um, do you wanna chime in? Yeah,
1: Um, I think that it, just honestly the the thing that i took away the most is that it's protest just to be doing what you want to the fullest because i think it's important yes we all have power and i think that it's important for us to leave space for people to say what they want to say and make space for the voices that people don't always listen to um yeah but i think it's important to know what grounds me sometimes in not getting overwhelmed with that sense of responsibility is knowing that the people who came before me, my ancestors, were working for for my generation to have some type of ease. They are not working and working so their grandchildren, great-grandchildren can continue drudging through that kind of pain and, and just exhaustion. And so I think it's important um, to remind ourselves that when we rest, that's protest because that's something that we worked that they worked for for us. When we have mm. fun, when we feel joy, when we smile, when we laugh, that is is that that is important and that is what they worked for too, you
2: know? Mm.
0: Yes. Oh, Sage, I so appreciate that.
2: Yeah, all those you know, things are in abundance at HBCU, I must say. Yes, exactly.
0: You know. Yes. Well, ladies, it has been my honor and my deep pleasure to have you on the show. I'm so excited, not just because you went to Howard University, um, because I think that all HBCUs are valuable, but you know, I always have to do my shout out to Howard. Yeah. I believe that, that all HBCUs are valuable um, to our young Black and African-American um, uh, in, kindred. And also to other people who go, because not only do we go, but there are other folks that go as well. But what you have done today, I think, is that you've you've enlightened folks, you've awakened folks to some of the things that you experienced even growing up, but you've awakened them to the experience of an HBCU and how it prepares you, because I know a lot of folks of color, as well as white folks, who tend to think that whiter schools are better. And that in and of itself is racism. And we have to do a better job of educating folks on the value of an HBCU and what our needs are as people of color. So I thank you so much for uh, being on the show today, sharing your experiences, want to just remind you to breathe through the experiences after we're off the show because I know it could bring up a lot of things. Even as excited as we were to talk about this, thank you very much. I want to just invite our guests if you'd like to know a little bit more about Sage Fortune and Ruby Avery. You can go to my website and send me uh, a note if you'd like to be in touch with them. Um, go to sacredintelligence.com and. Write to me and let me know what you think about today's show and about these uh, wonderful young ladies who were on the show. you could also like to know more about how to dismantle racism, I invite you to take one of my courses that you can find out about on the show. I leave you with these words. Octavia Butler says that all that you touch, you change. All that you change, changes you. The only lasting truth is change. And she says that God is change. So I invite you to be the change. Stay tuned after this show for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz and his guests as they help you walk through life with the greatest ease and joy. We'll see you next time on Dismantle Racism. Until then, be well, be encouraged, and be blessed. Bye for now.